0: Chapter forty nine of Old Town Folks. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Old Town Folks by Harriet Beecher Stowe. Chapter forty nine. What came of it? The next week, Mr. and Mrs. Ellery Davenport sailed for England i am warned by the increased quantity of manuscript which lies before me that if i go on recounting scenes and incidents with equal minuteness my story will transcend the limits of modern patience richardson might be allowed to trail off into seven volumes and to trace all the histories of all his characters even unto the third and fourth generations but richardson did not live in the days of railroad and steam and mankind then had more leisure than now I am warned, too, that the departure of the principal character from the scene is a signal for general weariness through the audience for looking up of gloves and putting on of shawls and getting ready to call one's carriage. In fact, when Harry and I had been down to see Tina off and had stood on the shore, watching and waving our handkerchiefs until the ship became a speck in the blue airy distance, I turned back to the world with very much the feeling that there was nothing left in it. "'what I had always dreamed of, hoped for, planned for, "'and made the object of all my endeavours, "'so far as this world was concerned, was gone. "'Gone, so far as I could see, hopelessly and irredeemably. "'And there came over me that utter languor and want of interest "'in every mortal thing, "'which is one of the worst diseases of the mind. "'But I knew that it would never do to give way to this lethargy. "'I needed an alterative.' and so i set myself with all my might and soul into learning a new language there was an old german immigrant in cambridge with whom i became a pupil and i plunged into german as into a new existence i recommend everybody who wishes to try the waters of leth to study a new language and to learn to think in new forms it is like going out of one sphere of existence into another some may wonder that i do not recommend devotion for this grand alterative but it is a fact that when one has to combat with the terrible lassitude produced by the sudden withdrawal of an absorbing object of affection devotional exercises sometimes hinder more than they help there is much in devotional religion of the same strain of softness and fervour which is akin to earthly attachments and the one is almost sure to recall the other what the soul wants is to be distracted for a while to be taken out of its old grooves of thought and to run upon entirely new ones religion must be sought in these moods in its active and perceptive form what we may call its business character rather than in its sentimental and devotional one it had been concluded among us all that it would be expedient for miss mehedable to remove from old town and take a residence in boston it was desirable for restoring the health of Emily that she should have more change and variety and less minute personal attention fixed upon her than could be the case in the little village of Old Town. Harry and I did a great deal of house-hunting for them and at last succeeded in securing a neat little cottage on an eminence overlooking the harbor in the outskirts of Boston preparing this house for them and helping to establish them in it furnished employment for a good many of our leisure hours in fact we found that this home so near would be quite an accession to our pleasures miss Mahétable had always been one of that most pleasant and desirable kind of acquaintances that a young man can have to wit a cultivated intelligent literary female friend competent to advise and guide one in one's scholarly career we became greatly interested in the society of her sister the strength and dignity of character shown by this unfortunate lady in recovering her position commanded our respect she was never aware and was never made aware by anything in our manner that we were acquainted with her past history the advice of tina on this subject had been faithfully followed no one in our circle or in boston except my grandmother had any knowledge of how the case really stood in fact miss mehitable had always said that her sister had gone abroad to study in france and her reappearance again was only noticed among the few that inquired into it at all as her return harry and i used to study french with her both on our own account and as a means of giving her some kind of employment on the whole the fireside circle at the little cottage became a cheerful and pleasant retreat miss mehetable had gained what she had for years been sighing for the opportunity to devote herself wholly to this sister she was a person with an enthusiastic power of affection and the friendship that arose between the two was very beautiful the experiences of the french revolution many of whose terrors she had witnessed had had a powerful influence on the mind of emily in making her feel how mistaken had been those views of human progress which come from the mere unassisted reason when it rejects the guidance of revealed religion she was in a mood to return to the faith of her fathers receiving it again under milder and more liberal forms i think the friendship of harry was of great use to her in enabling her to attain to a settled religious faith they were peculiarly congenial to each other and his simplicity of religious trust was a constant corrective to the habits of thought formed by the sharp and pitiless logic of her early training a residence in Boston was also favorable to Emily's recovery, and giving to her what no person who has passed through such experiences can afford to be without, an opportunity to help those poorer and more afflicted. Emily very naturally shrank from society. Except the Kitteries, I think, there was no family which she visited. I think she always had the feeling that she would not accept the acquaintance of any who would repudiate her were all the circumstances of her life known to them but with the poor the sick and the afflicted she felt herself at home in their houses she was a sister of mercy and a success of these sacred ministrations caused her after a while to be looked upon with a sort of reverence by all who knew her tina proved a lively and most indefatigable correspondent harry and i heard from her constantly in minute descriptions of the great gay world of london society into which she was thrown as wife of the american minister her letters were like her old self full of genius of wits and of humour sparkling with descriptions and anecdotes of character and sometimes scrawled on the edges with vivid sketches of places or scenes or buildings that hit her fancy she was improving she told us taking lessons in drawing and music and ellery was making a capital french scholar of her we could see through all her letters an evident effort to set forth everything relating to him to the best advantage every good-natured or kindly action and all the favorable things that were said of him were put in the foreground with even an anxious care to miss mehetable and emily came other letters filled with the sayings and doings of the little emily recording minutely all the particulars of her growth and the incidents of the nursery and showing that tina with all her going out found time strictly to fulfil her promises in relation to her i have got the very best kind of maid for her she wrote just as good and true as polly is only she is formed by the church catechism instead of the cambridge platform but she is faithfulness itself and emily loves her dearly in this record also minute notice was taken of all the presents made to the child by the father of all his smiles and caressing words Without ever saying a word formally, in her husband's defence, Tina thus contrived, through all her letters, to produce the most favourable impression of him. He was evidently, according to her showing, proud of her beauty and her talents, and proud of the admiration which she excited in society. For a year or two there seemed to be a real vein of happiness running through all these letters of Tina's. I spoke to Harry about it one day tina said i has just that fortunate kind of constitution buoyant as cork that will rise to the top of the stormiest waters yes said harry with some women it would have been an entire impossibility to live happily with a man after such a disclosure with esther for example i have never told esther a word about it but i know that it would give her a horror of the man that she never could recover from it is not said i that tina has not strong moral perceptions but she has this buoyant hopefulness she believes in herself and she believes in others she always feels adequate to manage the most difficult circumstances i could not help smiling that dreadful day when she came over and found us all so distressed and discouraged to see what a perfect confidence she had in herself and in her own power to arrange the affair to make emily consent to make the child love her in short to carry out everything according to her own sweet will just as she has always done with us all ever since we knew her i always wondered said harry "'that, with all her pride and all her anger, "'Emily did consent to let the child go. "'Why,' said I, "'she was languid and weak, "'and she was overborne by simple force of will. "'Tina was so positive and determined, "'so perfectly assured, "'and so warming and melting "'that she carried all before her. "'There wasn't even the physical power to resist her.' "'And do you think,' said Harry, that she will hold her power over a man like Ellery Davenport? Longer, perhaps, than any other kind of woman, said I, because she has such an infinite variety about her. But, after all, you remember what Miss Debbie said about him, that he never cared long for anything that he was sure of. Restlessness and pursuit are his nature, and therefore the time may come when she will share the fate of other idols. I regard it said harry as the most dreadful trial to a woman's character that can possibly be to love as tina loves a man whose moral standard is so far below hers it is bad enough to be obliged to talk down always to those who are below us in intellect and comprehension but to be obliged to live down all the while to a man without conscience or moral sense is worse i think often what communion hath light with darkness and the only hope i can have is that she will fully find him out at last and that said i is a hope full of pain to her but it seems to me likely to be realized a man who has acted as he has done to one woman certainly never will be true to another harry and i were now thrown more and more exclusively upon each other for society he had received his accession of fortune with as little exterior change as possible many in his situation would have rushed immediately over to england and taken delight in coming openly into possession of the estate harry's fastidious reticence however hung about him even in this it annoyed him to be an object of attention and gossip, and he felt no inclination to go alone into what seemed to him a strange country, into the midst of social manners and customs entirely different from those among which he had been brought up. He preferred to remain and pursue his course quietly, as he had begun, in the college with me, and he had taken no steps in relation to the property except to consult a lawyer in Boston." immediately on leaving college it was his design to be married and to go with esther to see what could be done in england but i think his heart was set upon a home in america the freedom and simplicity of life in this country were peculiarly suited to his character and he felt a real vocation for the sacred ministry not in the slightest degree lessened by the good fortune which had rendered him independent of it two years of our college life passed away pleasantly enough in hard study interspersed with social relaxation among the few friends nearest to us immediately after our graduation came harry's marriage a peaceful little idyllic performance which took us back to the mountains and to all the traditions of our old innocent woodland life there after a wholesome fashion of new england clergymen, mr avery had found a new mistress for his parsonage so that esther felt the more resigned to leaving him when i had seen them off however i felt really quite alone in the world the silent receptive sympathetic friend and brother of my youth was gone but immediately came the effort to establish myself in boston and through the friendly offices of the kitteries i was placed in connection with some very influential lawyers who gave me that helping hand which takes a young man up the first steps of the profession harry had been most generous and liberal in regard to all our family and insisted upon it that i should share his improved fortunes there are friends so near to us that we can take from them as from ourselves and harry always insisted that he could in no way so repay the kindness and care that had watched over his early years as by this assistance to me i received constant letters from him and from their drift it became increasingly evident that the claims of duty upon him would lead him to make england his future home in one of these he said quote, i have always as you know looked forward to the ministry and to such a kind of ministry as you have in america where a man for the most part speaks to cultivated instructed people living in a healthy state of society where a competence is the rule and where there is a practical equality I had no conception of life, such as I see it to be here, where there are whole races who appear born to poverty and subjection, where there are woes and dangers and miseries pressing on whole classes of men, which no one individual can do much to avert or alleviate. But it is to this very state of society that I feel a call to minister i shall take orders in the church of england and endeavour to carry out among the poor and the suffering that simple gospel which my mother taught me and which after all these years of experience after all these theological discussions to which i have listened remains in its perfect simplicity in my mind namely that every human soul on this earth has one friend and that friend is jesus christ its lord and saviour there is a redeeming power in being beloved but there are many human beings who have never known what it is to be loved and my theology is once penetrate any human soul with the full belief that god loves him and you save him such is to be my life's object and end and in this ministry esther will go with me hand in hand her noble beauty and gracious manners make her the darling of all our people and she is above measure happy in the power of doing good which is thus put into her hands as to england mortal heart cannot conceive more beauty than there is here it is lovely beyond all poets dreams near to our place are some charming old ruins and i cannot tell you the delightful hours that esther and i have spent there truly the lines have fallen to us in pleasant places i have not yet seen tina she is abroad travelling on the continent she writes to us often but horace her letters begin to have the undertone of pain in them her skies are certainly beginning to fade from some sources upon which i place reliance i hear ellery davenport spoken of as a daring plausible but unscrupulous man he is an integrant in politics and has no domestic life in him while tina however much she loves and appreciates admiration has a perfect woman's heart admiration without love would never satisfy her I can see, through all the excuses of her letters, that he is going very much one way, and she another, that he has his engagements, and she hers, and that they see, really, very little of each other, and that all this makes her sad and unhappy. The fact is, I suppose, he has played with his butterfly until there is no more down on its wings, and he is on the chase after new ones. So is my reading of poor Tina's lot. End quote when i took this letter to miss mehetable she told me that a similar impression had long since been produced on her mind by passages which she had read in hers tina often spoke of the little girl as very lovely and as her greatest earthly comfort a little one of her own born in england had died early and her affections seemed thus to concentrate more entirely upon the child of her adoption she described her with enthusiasm as a child of rare beauty and talent with capabilities of enthusiastic affection let us hope said i that she does take her heart from her mother ellery davenport is just one of those men that women are always wrecking themselves on men that have strong capabilities of passion and very little capability of affection men that have no end of sentiment and scarcely the beginning of real being they make bewitching lovers but terrible husbands one of the greatest solaces of my life during this period was my friendship with dear old madame Kittery ever since the time when i had first opened to her my boyish heart she had seemed to regard me with an especial tenderness and to connect me in some manner with the image of her lost son the assistance that she gave me in my educational career was viewed by her as a species of adoption her eye always brightened and a lovely smile broke out upon her face when i came to pass an hour with her time had treated her kindly she still retained the gentle shrewdness the love of literature and the warm kindness which had been always charms in her some of my happiest hours were passed in reading to her chapter after chapter in her well-worn bible needed no better commentary than the sweet brightness of her dear old face and her occasional reverent responses Many Sabbaths, when her increasing infirmities detained her from church, I spent in a tender holy rest by her side. Then I would read from her prayer book, the morning service, not omitting the prayer that she loved for the king and the royal family, and then, sitting hand in hand, we talked together of sacred things, and I often wondered to see what strength and discrimination there were in the wisdom of love, and how unerring were the decisions that she often made in practical questions in fact i felt myself drawn to Madame kittery by a closer tenderer tie than even to my own grandmother i had my secret remorse for this and tried to quiet myself by saying that it was because living in boston i saw Madame kittery oftener but after all is it not true that as we grow older the relationship of souls will make itself felt i revered and loved my grandmother but i never idealized her but my attachment to Madame Kittery was a species of poetic devotion. There was a slight flavour of romance in it, such as comes with the attachments of our maturer life, oftener than with those of our childhood. Miss Debbie looked on me with eyes of favour. In her own way, she really was quite as much my friend as her mother. She fell into the habit of consulting me upon her business affairs, and asking my advice in a general way about the arrangements of life i don't see i said to madame kittery one day why miss deborah always asks my advice she never takes it my dear said she with a quiet smile with which she often looked on her daughter's proceedings debby wants somebody to ask advice of when she gets it she is settled at once as to what she don't want to do that's something miss debby once came to me with a face of great perplexity i don't know what to do horace our thomas is a very valuable man and has always been in the family i don't know anything how we should get along without him but he is getting into bad ways ah said i what well you see it all comes of this modern talk about the rights of the people i've instructed thomas as faithfully as ever a woman could but do you believe me he goes to the primary meetings i have positive reliable information that he does my dear miss kittery i suppose it's his right as a citizen oh fiddlesticks and humbug said miss debbie and it may be my right to turn him out of my service and would not that, after all, be more harm to you than to him? suggested I. Miss Debbie swept up the hearth briskly, tapped on her snuff-box, and finally said she had forgotten her handkerchief and left the room. Old Madame Kittery laughed a quiet laugh. Poor Debbie, she said. She'll have to come to it. The world will go on. Thomas kept his situation for some years longer, till, having bought a snug place and made some favourable investments, he at last announced to Miss Debbie that, having been appointed constable with a commission from the Governor, his official duties would not allow of his continuance in her service. End of chapter forty-nine